Welcome to another episode of The Paragon Path. This is episode two of season two, Small Team Tactics. Now, this is our second take, so we might refer to some things that we previously talked about but that you haven't heard. Unfortunately, the original audio got corrupted and doesn't work. So this is Small Team Tactics, episode two, take two. Uh, we're going to cover everything. Uh, scratch that. We're going to cover everything that we can in about two hours where we're going to give you some basics, some tactics, some ideas, some situations. Uh, a lot of these things are going to be just surface level things. Um, and we're going to start talking about some of the more in-depth things, but the, this is once again, another one of those topics. We're probably going to have to do a part two if you guys are into it. So if you want a part two, make sure you like subscribe, comment, and we'll get you a part two. So let's get started and let's start the path. Welcome to the Paragon Path. Let's get on it. We are live. All right, we're recording. So welcome to uh, take two of episode now two because of the order that we ended up recording things in. But this is now episode two of season two, take two, which was take one of season one. But it's now take two. So don't try to follow that logic. Just this is season two, episode two of the paragon path we're talking about small team tactics today um mainly because talking about large team tactics gets really hard in a podcast format without a lot of fancy graphs also most of our fights are small team it's, it's what happens there i mean even if you're on a giant battlefield most of your stuff comes down to small team so we're going to talk about small team um with us today we have two amazing guests we have Dizzy from CK and Lily from all over, but now Polaris again. So I'm going to have them introduce themselves and give you guys uh, a little intro on their background. So Dizzy, you want to go first? Uh, sure. This is uh, Dizzy Vertigo fighting out of the Celestial Kingdom. I'm a member of the Sacred Order, the Righteous Brotherhood of the Chosen, comma, Holy Warriors above the Unforgiving. And uh, I have been playing since 1997 at the fall yeah fall of 97 and uh just all around playing texas don't really travel anywhere else yeah but texas has got good stick it's, uh, it's so, I <laughs> so i hear so i hear i hear rumors that it's not all not all that's cracked up to be hey i i hear that uh, we'd be better if we were on the grind <laughs> All right, Lily, you want to give your intro? Yes, Lily, Megatron, Sunshine, member of the Sacred Order of the Righteous Brotherhood of the Chosen Comma, Holy Warriors, about the Unforgiving. Was there, a, was there a comma? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay, it, it was there. There's okay. always a comma. I'm always. not used to listening to it yet, so don't, don't, don't. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I got to. Uh, you know, as I've said, uh, a few of these podcasts things, mm -hmm. I uh, started in the Principality of Olympus, is that technically right? And then into the Principality of Polaris, into mm -hmm. the Kingdom of Polaris, into the Celestial Kingdom, and now back to Polaris, mm -hmm. um, which is great. So I've got to learn in a fresh kingdom that's kind of developing, you know, amp guard for itself and into one that was very well established a uh, third oldest kingdom i believe in Ampgard. Uh, uh is it third great. or second yep. it's it's uh, third old i think i think it's third something something shouldn't you know michael created the celestial kingdom no i know he created the celestial kingdom but what would be the next one because it's burning lands and then was it burning lands dragonspine then uh ck i guess that would have been the order 
Straight and Spike. Well, whatever. We don't have to do a history lesson on what the park's about. One of the oldest games, and mm-hmm. and getting to see the difference there is is really quite cool. It's some cultural differences. They they might be small, and some of it's uh, very unique, but uh, brings a unique perspective, I think. So, mm-hmm. um, we're going to talk about small team tactics, and and the first time we went through this take, we talked a lot about tournaments, and I think we should still do that again because. Uh, I think we should bring back 2v2s all around and uh, 3v3s and stuff like that in tournament formats um, because, it A, it makes a lot more opportunity for a variety of skills instead of just showing who's the best on one-on-one. It also now plays into... It kind of plays into more of the order of battle. I know that's not in the sword path, but it's still... 2v2s in tournaments are going to give you more information on that and then get you better at team fighting. And that's team. I think team fighting is better than not knowing how to team fight. So more team fights. Um, if I remember correctly, the CK often does 2v2s in their tournaments, but not always does 2v2s in their kingdom tournaments. Correct? Incorrect. We previously, we previously always had 2v2s after, uh, Inquisitor Crix um, put up a all thing for the Celestial Kingdom uh, a few years ago. I guess maybe four or five now. Um, we have a very specific format, and two man teams is no longer part of that format. Ah, okay. Is sure. it? Hey, yeah, because I don't think it was re- it wasn't required at all. My whole time down there was pretty much over the last four to five years. It was mm-hmm. Not. Re- by Kapora, the tournaments that they were running. So it just got granted right. extracurricular tournaments or added as a category because uh, one, it's either Weapon Master Falls, they have some, uh, I think it's Weapon Master, they have a little bit of play <clears throat> and, can, uh, and can decide some of the categories, I, I think. But it's been a minute, so. I... Yeah, it used to different. be a very, very, very uh, integral part of what we did. Um, not anymore. Not anymore. Okay, but you guys have experience fighting together and against each other in two v twos, correct? Um, uh, nope, just together. Just uh, together. We we showed up and dominated together. That was it. Carry, carry. Um, we, I mean, maybe in like the uh, the dojo, we had a minute where we were doing some ditching and two v two stuff, like uh, at the Kung Fu dojo, but it wasn't super regular but I, I feel like i remember some of that but, but most anyway mostly just together like that's it's pretty much okay so right. um we talked about last time uh i keep saying that you the audience has never heard that episode because the recording is terrible so uh let's talk uh, about when you come together in a 2v2 tournament and what uh, what you're kind of looking for in a partner, as well as what you're trying to bring to that tournament in a in a two v two sense, teamwork wise. I'll let you go first there, definitely. All right. Um, so what I want in a partner, right? Is that what we're starting with? Like, partner? yeah, let's start with that. A couple parts of the question. So, um, if I had to look at what I wanted out of a partner. I would say that I would uh, I would want them to be able to communicate with me. I think that that's 
pretty important to like communication would be like almost the first thing because like even if the skill isn't necessarily I mean, you could say i just want the best fighter period but if they don't talk to me then there's a good chance that i just die mm -hmm. because they lost their fight and didn't say dead for example so like that could be really important or um i guess secondly i would really want them to um uh, see, so communicating with me is important, mm -hmm. and then I guess secondly, if I have to, I'm trying to put this in the order that I think is most important. Uh, stick is probably number two. Um, so I want them to be able to carry their own because some of the plans mm -hmm. for for tournament two v twos, I need them to be able to win their one v one. It's funny because two v twos can devolve into one v ones, and you know, mm -hmm. if they beat their guy, I beat my guy. Hey, great, perfect. So I, I need I need stick and communication. Uh, communication and stick, sorry, in that order, I think is still, uh, maybe it's a toss up. I don't know. Maybe Dizzy will disagree with me on that one, which is more important. And then like third, if I break it to three things, um, I would, uh, think about like, I guess, weapon proficiency. Like I, I want some complimentary equipment, I suppose. Like maybe that's just sword and board cause that's their best thing. And it depends on like what other people are using, but sometimes like support, support, mm -hmm. I use it very loosely here, but like a down spear may be very very strong in the format or uh polls almost never seem to be the right answer so yeah but um but something like that maybe can bring mm -hmm. uh some extra utility so I, I think yeah communication skill and weapon compatibility weapon essentially compatibility, something like that yeah 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 i hadn't thought about it this way too much i generally go like yeah dizzy is good let's do it <laughs> and like, you know, there's already all the boxes that are checked anyway somewhere in there. So like, uh, maybe if I thought about this a little deeper, you lucky son of a gun to go second. Um, yeah, yeah, I like those. I'll I'll stick with those. And if I think of something else, I'll come up with something else. But I think that's for the first part. And what was what was the other part of the question? I can go through that too, or I can I can uh, think of that. Uh, well, let's separate it a little bit. So let's start with like what you're looking to partner, and then we'll go into like things you might do in the in the two v two setting. Because um, I don't think 2v2s are going to come up in battle games as often. Um, I, I mean, from my personal experience, if I have the opportunity and I'm seeing I have two people and I'm going against to get two people, I'll just try to grab another person because battle games are chaotic. There's more people around. There's not a lot of point in trying to make an even fight, try to give you as much advantage as possible. And that'll change things around. But I, I think 2v2 is most commonly contained in tournaments. Has that been your guys' experience as well? Uh, um, I would have to say it, it really depends because if I have somebody that, um, well, I guess I I will lead up with the first part of that question there. Mm -hmm. What do I look for in 2v2? Um, and un, unlike definitely, I don't necessarily need somebody to communicate, but I definitely need them to be out of my way and uh, tell me if they die. Like mm -hmm. other than that, don't really care. Uh, I mean, if you go deeper in the brackets, uh, communicate. Um, if you, you know, figure out that uh, the combo that you're about to go across, either I need to fight somebody or you need to fight somebody. Other than that, I don't. That's all I really look for. The next thing, uh, as far as the communication piece, right? The next thing I look for is. Uh, Will this person screw me if I if, if we go into the uh, point system together and we're both getting like in the CK eight points? So mm. is it two v two time and we're both tied on points for the day? 
I definitely don't want that person, even if that they would potentially uh, carry me to the top. Uh, Seth Lilly pointed that out the last time we spoke about this a little bit that mm-hmm. I know the listeners didn't get, but uh, knowing the point system, knowing where you are, you may not necessarily want the best person um, that's available there. Um, and then last but not least, uh, you got to have somebody that knows what to do with their equipment. I don't care if they're Florentine, down sphere, sword and board. If they don't know what to do with their equipment, if they're not reasonably competent, I don't necessarily know that I want to pick them up on my team. Mm-hmm. Not tournament time. Uh, messing around? Sure. But not in tournaments. Um, definitely want that proficiency with whatever equipment they're bringing. Yeah, absolutely. And then to kind of move along to your battle game scenario, I could absolutely see turning the tide in a battle game. You're doing 20 20, uh, 20 on 20, or mm-hmm. 10 on 10. If you have two people that are sticking together and their classes complement one another, it will literally feel like you have 10 to 15 people on the people that you're engaging with. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have, let's say, a very competent uh, wizard that who's just really doing crowd control and you have like maybe a bump and run assassin, right. That is getting in people's faces, getting the free kills, jumping out, you know, recharging their one shot kills, jumping back in wizards, controlling people. That's going to be deadly and mm-hmm. they're going to not have a, an out for it. Um, on the other hand, if you come across the three V three team, that is, uh, or a three-man team that's better than your two-man team, they're going to wreck your two-man team and the other team. So uh, it really depends on what the the battle game devolves to. What I see on a lot of just generic park days is it's usually you by yourself and mm-hmm. not so much uh, anybody teaming up unless you're in the same company or you're like friends with somebody, you know? Mm-hmm. I think well, it's a, a factor that happens a lot. Well, that's I, I do remember seeing that a bunch. At least when I was doing more um, when it was at least last in Texas and stuff, and we were playing with pretty large numbers at park stuff. I'd be like, "All right, come on, uh, Herc, it's time to go like do this left flank or something or right flank or whatever we chose to do." We might roll around that way one time, and he well, it'll be him. He, we'll say he died um, in this case, and then he'll wander back, and I never see him again. <laughs> and then he's off. <laughs> It's like herding cats to try to get your teammate if they're not in the same um, on the same plan as you. Like, we're going to relentlessly hit this thing for five minutes and this plan didn't work. Then we'll, mm-hmm. we'll change it up. It's first engagement and then it's like one person dies and they go, oh, I might be useful over there. And they wander mm-hmm. away. It's like, but my, I need backup. <laughs> come, come back. I need help. I'm stranded out here in no man's land. I, I need I need assistance. Um but I've I've seen that part happen. Um, the two v two on it like today uh, when we were playing and everything, we we had a lot of three v threes, and um, at least on that right flank since the field was split in half with like that bridge, or not the bridge, but the impassable terrain. Yeah. So in that, in that yeah. game, we had three v threes going on on the right a lot. Sometimes it would go to four. Sometimes it was twos. It was it was kind of a mix. <clears throat> Whether that was purposeful or just kind of by design of the the field, that side was a lot of team fighting. For the most part, um, the other side—I don't know what the hell was going on over on the left. I, they were just getting beat by like you and uh, and Zach. I mean, <laughs> well, they're on the left, yeah. right? They're on the wrong side. So <laughs> no, they were. Well, we were on their left. Yeah, that's he was, the important. They, they were pushing their right, right? 
We were on the right side. We were just on the wrong side that Jamie wanted. This is uh, monster. Doesn't understand anything about these flanks. Nothing. <laughs> this is the uh, side you want on, right here, right. Uh, this side. That's that's, side. Side. that's my le- that's my left side. No, Discord yeah, yeah. flips cameras. It's a it's a it's a whole mess. It's a it's a different thing. Okay, so, um, I, okay, I'll explain this a little bit, um, because I think we can use this as an example. This is a, a pretty good example from today. So, Lily and I were both at a king visit, um, at our park in, uh, Rochester, Minnesota. So ethereal tides. We had 12v12, I think was most battle games or something like that, 10v10. It was around that number. Um, we had a decent mix of players. There were a decent chunk of Paragons on the field, but there was also a decent chunk of just your everyday randos coming to play the game. I, I don't want to call random players random. Uh, your so offensive on this podcast non-pushing members your people that are playing the game but they're not pushing to be paragon because that we do recognize that when you're pushing to be paragon you're general looking at a different general amp guard populace all right the populace the people we had the general populace of amp guard and then we had uh a decent handful of paragons and then lily as a warlord um i, I mean it came into play kind of but not a ton but the there was the one battle game we had where we were winning pretty heavily, even though we had, I think, less people and uh, we technically had like one or two more points of armor. But well, which which game? Uh, uh, is I don't remember which game it was, honestly. First game, second game or third game? I think it was the second game. All right, so second game was the the horde, uh, the, the collect the items game, the dragon uh, the one, dragon and you guys uh, raffle stomped the absolute bejesus out of us. So so here's here's the thing, okay, and I, it's not to really complain, but just like mm-hmm. um, perspectively, uh, your guys' first setup for your team comp was almost identical to the second one. You guys should have crushed us the first game too. The first round went on for a super long time for some reason. Mm-hmm. The second one, you guys just pushed through and killed us. I mean, that was basically you had a person in two, a person in two, a person in three, a person uh, and Jess as a whatever, and uh, as a healer, and Ismail as a monk with two weapons. So you had a very strong five-man grouping, mm-hmm. pretty much, right? Then going into the next round, it was all the same things, but Jess opted into uh, armor. Yeah, barbarian. So it didn't really change a whole lot. I got Jory for uh, Sam, who is a wizard versus for a hobbit. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and so that game, it was, it was 15 plus to our three or five mm-hmm. um, for the scores. We, we got we got absolutely uh, decimated in that, just for examples. You guys had a lot of armor. We, we had two people in armor, Yeah. one of which had three points on his chest, and that was it. And the other one who had uh, three points everywhere. Yeah. That was what we had for armor. So you guys are rocking five to, to six people, pretty decked out, and then um, I got pretty I decked out for the field right. For well, we had enough. Yeah, we were not allowed to use metal armor in that space, so like nobody was rocking six. Yeah, so that's a whole nother problem. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, we would have balanced the teams differently yeah. at that point. Sure, so. Um, but the, anyways, I didn't want to totally cut you off, but that's at least I I remember the yeah mix the the thing that made it very obvious for me watching this because we had like minute long respawns they were really long respawns for most battle games and i was very so you had a bunch of time to watch the field lily killed at least half of our team in a matter of 45 seconds by just out sticking people he had a stone skin he had uh kill spells and some cc and stuff like he did a great push 
And then instead of the rest of the team recognizing that and pushing forward with it, um, they kind of sat back and defended their location and let Lily do all the killing. Um, and it was it was very interesting to watch that interaction because sitting on the back line, I was like, this is the exact time. We're all dead for 30 to 60 seconds still. This is the perfect time to walk up and take all of our resources and leave. Like, this would have been fantastic, but it didn't happen. And the, uh, the communication was the problem. Yeah. Nobody wants to play the objective. Everyone wants to, to just kill, kill each other. Yeah. Well, and but going and dying was really damning at sixty seconds in that. Yes. In that game, sixty seconds is a long time to be dead. And man, when I when I when you guys got my damn druid who was giving me stone skin, I'm like, well, I am in so much trouble now because I basically I, I was good for about one and a half players once that happened. Mm -hmm. I could get a heat weapon or wounding off. And I would get run down by the other person, basically, because it was in, uh, it would be like Jess in armor, or Faj in armor, or you mm -hmm. in armor, or Zach in armor. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to stop one briefly and then get run over by the other person. Right. It, it was a bunch of Paragons not playing their Paragon classes, but Paragons playing classes well with armor. It, it Like, it, it, it's a thing. So Good, good stuff. It's a good team. Right. So the communication is the thing I wanted to point out on that, because it... It like it didn't happen on your side, and I don't know why it didn't, because you guys had plenty of team players that are very good at keeping things together, but it just didn't happen um, for whatever reason. And we also weren't really communicating. Like it was very interesting to watch that both teams failed on this very basic thing of team communication that didn't happen. I'll be as brief as I can on this because you know, it doesn't help. Uh doesn't get dizzy involved since this is just something that we were just both at right but true um at least from my perspective in this particular instance of this game right um i don't generally play a wizard i think i gave a shot at learning wizard mm -hmm. uh six months before covid <laughs> and then i didn't touch touch wizard at all for a long time so it's not an excuse but what it what it kind of led to is i was really hyper focused on trying to do my stuff correctly Mm -hmm. since i'm not proficient with those particular spells yeah um and so then once we're in this mix i'm now focused on pretty much exactly what's in front of me um losing what's going on anywhere else in the battlefield and that that's included to communicating with my teammates to try to get them to come in and assist me in games that um i, I know the class well or i'm very mm -hmm. comfortable with it it's very easy for me to do my job not hyper focus i can look around i've got time you know, when I have to start looking like where is, you know, okay, there's Jess across the field. I'm already, you know, ambulant and, and ready to cast this if she gets too close or, or whatever the case is. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not focusing on what's going on behind me anymore, which is part of why I got murdered from behind quite a few times. And um, it, I think it would mean that if I could have gone and done more communication with my team, I would have, but it's it's hard to do it when you're... Well, you weren't... You're not as proficient as you wanted to be with the class. This is the same setup as when in the tournament talk. If you're not proficient with the build that you brought, you're not going to be as effective as you could be. We, I mean, you kind of sandbagged yourself by... You still are a warlord and single stick is... You're, you're fantastic and you're super fast. But uh, you weren't able to use all your abilities you wanted. You weren't able to focus on the other aspects of the field. So when you're building those teams, and especially for tournament play and higher end play that you're trying to be competitive at bring what you know don't 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 whip out barbarian if you've played it twice that's probably not a great time for you don't forget about fun which is why i played 
a wizard today and I shot a bow today. Like I, I yeah. had a good time and still tried to be competitive, but it's it's hard to to catch every little part. Um, if we had had a stronger front line as well, yeah, that would be different. Our, our front line sort of lacking. There lots of people, and it's no offense to anybody. They wanted to play D. Defense is important, mm-hmm. but if you play offense, go win. <laughs> then our defense is a little less important. So, but um, but yeah. Anyway, anyways, I don't want to dwell too much on on today's stuff since you know we should use Dizzy's time. Uh, I think. Well, so let let's bring this into. It's all irrelevant, I guess. Uh, you know, <laughs> playing Ampgar, small team tactics. It's the means of getting there. That's uh, is the point of discussion, right? Mm-hmm. Winning, losing understanding when you should be winning when you should not be winning mm-hmm. um and then of course uh kind of anything that that goes into it is you can set yourself up for success but unless you have people on your team that also want to be successful you will fail 100 percent of the time yeah and and you mentioned earlier the one of the features you want in a player uh coming with you in the 2v2s is someone that's not going to get in your way and you move a lot. Like, I know you're a big dude, but you move a lot. And if someone's not keeping up with your tempo, um, that's going to sandbag your team because they're not going to be able to keep up with your pace. They're not going to be able to pull the maneuvers the same way that you want. If you're moving at a pace of, you know, real fast and they're kind of lollygagging or playing super defensive, that's not going to be your best option every time. Well, uh, you know, and, and for... A game that has um, multiple people. I know, I know we talked about like how often do we see, you know, like two v twos in these larger games. I, I very much had the opportunity to grab somebody on my team who may be receptive to that, mm-hmm. and then be like, hey, we're gonna go over here and do this. So that is a failure on my part and the team fighting. If I was interested in trying to be competitive to win some of these games in that format, right? Like, I, mm-hmm. it is something that we all have the ability to do. It's it, we're always gonna be better with a battle buddy. Um, most of the time, uh, you know, generally having one more person is useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, that is, that is a shortcoming. And I think the advice there for anyone is if you feel like you're not getting, uh, the assistance, well, who, who did I have on my team that I could grab? And then like, Hey, let's go, mm-hmm. go push it aside. You know, like that's, that's a good idea. We should try. I can't get everyone to necessarily listen, but I mean, I've got friends, damn it. <laughs> There's probably someone who wants to come and do this. I hope. <laughs> I mean, so, if yeah. they're if like everyday park day, I don't think is a great example of like how competitive teamwork is going to happen because park is for practice and fun. If you want to practice it there, maybe sandbag yourself a little bit so you're not, you know, two people going for Paragon or two Paragons going for your next Paragons teaming up to beat the crap out of a bunch of your everyday players because that's not fun for anybody. You got to level yourself. Well, that's where target priority is pretty important too, right? Mm-hmm. If, we, uh, if we know that there's somebody who is well and good and established, and we understand that this is an individual that's good, going and making sure that you get that player, perfect. The poor new kid who's, uh, it's his first day, you don't necessarily got to light them up, you know? Like, yeah, I mean, kill them, engage with them, and play with them. But you can definitely focus in on those those individuals who are good, mm-hmm. even at a park day. Like they, uh, you seem to be one who appreciates competitive play. Mm-hmm. And if you're playing competitive play with other people who are trying to push for competitive play, you end up with with good games and stuff. We had a uh, uh, the smallest disagreement on how an interaction was. I disagreed with uh, the ruling. You were correct in the ruling, which is perfect. 
Um, and we, um, I, instead of just having a discussion, having to stop play, it was basically like, uh, I'm going to take this and do it the way I think it's right. Maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong, whatever. And we'll sort it out after the game is done. Oh, this yeah. is where we need reeves, but for general, a game with essentially no reeves, I don't know. We just kind of took it and then we talked about it after and it's like, yeah. Oh, cool. I, 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 I've learned and maybe I knew that at one point and I've gotten my rules mixed up, but I, I'm now informed again and I won't make that mistake until I forget. No, it's, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, I, conflicts are going to happen, but the getting around them without getting angry or frustrated is a big part of it. And then just kind of like, this isn't world championship Phoenix league. Your everyday park is not world championship Phoenix league or the tournament that's going to get you your warlord. Don't be a dick. Texas is pretty, pretty, pretty competitive, man. They, uh, they're always going pretty hard. I don't know. I played your guys' battle games. (laughs) <laughs> I have. I think you played them at Spring War, right? This is true. I've only that played is, your battle games at Spring War. Is, so, Spring War. I hate to say this. Spring War is, while it is definitely battle gaming in the Celestial Kingdom, it is not Celestial Kingdom battle gaming. If that makes sense. Um, I, having played in the Celestial Kingdom for, oh God, uh, twenty-one years now. I can tell you. That's just levels. That, You're good. Yeah, just levels. Um, so I can tell you that uh, the day-to-day park play is far more competitive than Spring War battle game play. Interesting. Uh, and I think, and I think that is because they're most everybody in the Celestial Kingdom is trying to put it on their best effort, make sure people come back, have a good time, want to be around people. Um, there's a lot more reeves um, and you know battle game runners that are there and willing to cooperate. Can't tell you that's accurate for the ditch <laughs> because <laughs> there is definitely no love loss in the ditch. Like it is, it, it, you're you know everybody's testing exactly how long their sword is or isn't in the <laughs> ditch, right? Um, hey, that's that is one of the biggest cultural differences right there is the ditching. Spring War slash uh, Southern Ampguard for, mm-hmm. for sure. Totally, totally different monster, which is which is cool. I really appreciate it. But that's a, yeah, the like, dish line is a great spot to practice your your two v twos, three v threes, small team stuff because it's big teams against big teams, and you can just kind of segment off and do your things. No, no, get out of my way. We had one of those that uh, I think it's the only time you've ever like snapped at me ever. Like, and it was, uh, maybe it was spring war. I, it was, it was at Lone Star. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I'm trying to like help or cover him on the way through or whatever. And I've ran into dizzy and it was basically like, get the fuck out of my way or something along those lines. And, uh, I'm just like, Oh, I'm trying yeah. to help. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I, I don't remember all the context, but it was pretty funny. So, and then, uh, you know, he's just tearing it up. So when he said, uh, one of the things he looks for is someone not getting his way. He is absolutely true to his word. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I fight hard and I fight fast on, I, I try to be on the right flank. Uh, fighting Florentine in a world of sword and shield men, left flank is just as fine as well. But I, I try to be on the right, and I hardly ever fight sword and shield. And when I'm fighting Florentine, I I don't feel like I'm doing my job if I'm not threatening at least three people to four people on my corner. Mm-hmm. And 
that in my mind, if I'm threatening those three to four people, then the two, three, four, and five guy to the left of me or to the right of me shouldn't have any problems getting through. Mm -hmm. So if I run into them or if I have to kill their guy and come back and kill my guy and go kill another guy, th those people are, are in my way. They're mm -hmm. irritating me. Right? It's like, if you, if you can't kill these people and I'm threatening them, then you need to move out of the way. Take 10 steps, 15 steps, 50 feet. I don't care. Whatever you need. So you don't cross up my feet when I'm trying to move and manipulate these people. Mm -hmm. um, because that is one of the... I, I'm a completely different person when I, when I ditch. Because uh, I, I think the first time that uh, Death Lily ever really got to experience that was at uh, Banner War. Uh, right outside of uh, Nacogdoches, Texas. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at a guy on my right. I slip between the third and fourth guy. So it's guy, 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 and another dude. I kill this guy just quick one shot. I slip between the first two, like, so the two, uh, two and three person mm -hmm. hit the fourth person. And then there's Lily. And I'm like, Hey, boom, bye. <laughs> and, you know, and, uh, that, that to me is where it is. So, our company is very much, we're all heroes and we're trying to get our KDR higher than the other guy. So we can blame Arthon for not having as many kills. The best of traditions. <laughs> this all comes back to blame Arthon. That's, that's what this is. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's always blame Arthon. If you die, blame Arthon. If you had to kill Arthon's guy, you blame him. And you look at the other members of the Chosen that you had to kill their guy. It doesn't matter if they may have helped or not helped, but if you got the killing blow on them, why did I have to kill your guy? Stop sucking. Do better. This it is that competitive a, teamwork. Uh huh. It, it definitely makes everybody put forth their best effort because you don't want to be the guy with no KD. Like you gotta, you gotta get in there. You gotta get some bodies. You know, I gotta get that count up. And uh, that can be really quite challenging if uh, you're lazy on the the ditch well, i mean that's where they whole before there were dojos right before there was the 512 dojo or i, I forget those guys down in neverwinter they they have like a dojo thing mm -hmm. and i think there's some other dojos around the the league so to speak before there was that running the flank we used to call that whole dojo like if you single-handedly killed everybody in the ditch and it only gets better 10 plus people right mm. you had to kill your guy and have the jets to get all the way down the line kill the other team before anybody else could get any kills in oh man that's cartwheel worthy absolutely that's i mean that's some that's competitive teamwork is what that is you're challenging each other to be better you're on the same team but you want to beat everybody else on your team as well to try to just be a badass i mean whatever works um, definitely all right so uh we talked a little bit about how to put together a team for 2v2 um i don't think we really want to go into all the details of how to build like class small teams because that will be here all night um that's a lot of details for sure yeah uh so class small teams just be smart and make sure you have your roles filled which is have a tank have a dps and have a support that's it, it, yeah. yeah.
Like that's kind of what you're doing in the small teams without classes. Those roles are still going to be filled. They're just going to be filled differently. Um, uh, do we want to talk about a couple of the maneuvers of like two V twos and three V threes? The, sure. the pretty classic ones. I can switch my camera over so we can get some graphics. Oh man. Graphics. This is a high budget program. Ha-ha. If you'd like to donate to Merrick the 15th, you can feel free to hit me up at my <laughs> PayPal, <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, any donation is great donations. I mean, if you make donations to Jamie, he might give me a sword. So I'm not really against that. Uh, I'm only, actually, I gotta get foam. Uh, uh, we'll sort that out. Uh, BT dubs, I may be starting up selling swords again. Oh, you heard it here first. All right, this is going to be backwards for y'all, so I apologize. Uh, For those listeners or watchers, this is going to be the right direction um, because that's the way OBS decided to work. So backwards? uh, Where's that that red swordsman for you on the... uh... It's on my right. Yeah, that looks like it's on the right. Oh, sorry, sorry. In the middle page? Uh, No, no, the the furthest left page. Uh Uh-oh, is it the furthest right page for you? Yeah, this is the furthest left page. Oh, can you see my mouse? Uh, Hold on. Oh, I'm not on that page. Okay, that would explain it. Hold on. So this. Yeah, okay. That. Yep, yep. Yeah, so this healer is on my right. Yeah, it's on my right. Yeah, that's right. Oh, okay, cool. All right, all right. It just looks backwards to me. Fantastic. This makes things easy. All right. Great. (laughs) If you say so. I can tell your purple and brown guy are in the wrong spot right now, and your pole guy definitely needs to move around. Okay, explain that. Explain that. Let's yeah. let's go into no, that. What what's going on? Um, so so you definitely don't want your, it, it and I understand you have these classes written on there, right? But if this is the, it weapon, doesn't really matter for class. Yeah, this is a weapon breakdown. Yeah, if these are the weapon breakdowns, you don't want your Florentine guy cutting off the shield guy, right? Mm-hmm. He needs to be moved out to the left. No, no, no. Just move him in one. Move him in one slot. So, yeah, move him there. And you need to actually move him up and to the center, just a bit to the right, just a little bit. Your pole guy needs to be working the V between the druid and healer. Yeah, That's so where they need to be working. This space. Uh, No. Opposite side of the warrior. Both sides of the warrior. Between the oh. druid and the warrior, between oh. the warrior and the healer. All right, That's I'm where they need to be working. Okay, so we're talking something. More like that. Absolutely. That is their cone to be working in because that Florentine person needs to know that they they need to know when to be in the way and when not to be in the way. And when to be in the way is when somebody is charging the pole guy. They need to eat them up and chew them up and make sure the board guy crashes down. So in this case, the Drid guy can scoop up if the Florentine guy goes down at all. Mm-hmm. The pole guy should never be interacting pole on pole because that's just retarded. It's, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sure I triggered somebody there. Sorry, it is ill-advised. It doesn't um, end well for either party. Yeah. Pole on pole fights are very hard. Yeah, just get them out of there. You're, um, you know, you're having your pole guy that can work back and forth and your because th- there's no projectiles here, right? 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely no projectiles. And if your pole guy on the opposite side is trying to go after your warrior for any reason, the pole guy can slip back and stab the fool out of the pole guy if need be. So now your warrior crashes down backwards, right? Your shield guy on the right, your healer comes up to the right a little bit to give that protection. The pole guy slips out to the right-hand side of of the warrior or the healer uh to the right of the healer flips out to the right not that far you're just slipping right you're not making a big movement you're just making a slip so they get their stab on the pole guy and then the sword and board guy comes up and the pole guy can go back to working as they were so the pole and warrior guy are going to constantly move back and forth making mm -hmm. space and chewing up anybody that comes through or gets past the board guys. Okay. So essentially if let's just move this out of the way. So we have an easier time. Uh, if you're listening to this, we'll try to explain this, but I highly recommend you watch this episode on YouTube um, as there is a graphic to, to follow with. So if this is kind of our, our line, and I know that most of the time we don't really want to create a flat line. We're going to want to try and stagger things a little bit based on uh, what we're doing on the field and movement. It seems like Warrior and Paladin, the, the pole user and the flow user, are going to just... This is really an ambiguous location. They're just going to float back and forth based on what is against them. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Those are going to be your attacks of opportunity folks that are there. Your mm -hmm. healer and druid in this situation. Um, and, and and this is assuming not everybody's running around being a hero, right? Mm -hmm. This is uh, mostly everybody's got the same talent level here, right? You're, mm -hmm. You don't have skill stacked on one side versus the other. Everybody's playing um, very, very same level of fighting. You want your pole guy to be able to work or girl or whatever they are. You want your pole person to be able to manipulate the fill as needed. The Florentine person, make sure that nobody gets up on the pole guy. And your your boardsman in this, they're just anchoring the outside, making sure nobody gets around. Because you're just going to destroy, kind of like a tank, just going straight through, needling, smashing whatever you have to do okay so for those that aren't aren't watching and to to get this straightforward uh we've created a it's kind of a v-shape where we have a boardman on the right a boardman on the far left and then in the middle and it doesn't really matter which side you have them on the paladin and the warrior uh which are a pullman sorry it doesn't matter with the class a pullman and a flow and they're going to move back and forth and work in concert to make sure that their cone of attack is basically all of the space between your right and left boardmen. Um, so that they can chew up anything that comes in front. The boardman's job is to make sure that nothing gets passed or around. And you essentially just create a, I mean, I guess a, a meat grinder in the middle to just not let anybody get past you. Um. Cool. What do you okay. think, Ethelie? Uh, 
think uh, you have a different strategy there? Sometimes. Uh, the idea, nothing ever should be like so set in stone where you're, you know, I, I like the, they kind of float, you know, around in that, that space because fighting is generally kind of chaos. And if it's kind mm-hmm. of chaos, that means you, you know, you're going to have to adapt on the fly anyways. Just this little bit because I like to use my hands. Um, I would like to think about the individuals and the positions, I think, is what I what I like to think about. Now, for the general Amphgard populace, it makes sense. It's, this is probably pretty good just for, like, if, if everything is equal. We have equal length poles, equal length swords, equal shields, equal, you know, everything is totally equal and, and whatever. Cool. Makes sense. But, like... Man, if I was going to do some pull-on-pull violence, I want, like, my pull to just be, like, a foot or two longer than theirs. That's a free kill on their pull. Once their pulls drop, you just run wild and get to, like, win these fights. Um, if you, Dizzy, were the, the warrior here in this instance, the purple fighter, I'd put your ass out on the right flank. I want you to go run, you know, do the whole, you know, go do your thing, go float, be the hero, bust through that line on the, the far right, and these other two boardmen can still work around this pull. Like, if I if I'm taking into account that like I can put let's say you in that position and I know that that's a really good skill set for you like that's that's perfect like that's great you could also fight in the middle but I'd rather have you just go like run wild on their line that makes so much pressure for the team so they have to respond to you if they don't they just die in the back and then the pole and the other fighters have free shots at anyone who turns to try to respond to you but that's like I would try to bring the longer pole. I would, try, you know, try to prep for some of this. And I mean, they can do the same thing, but like standard in Amp is like seven to eight feet. So a nine and a half foot pole is like what I have because I want to beat poles with longer poles. Um, but let's 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 say it's everything is equal, okay? So we can we can kind of flip this around. I know you're you're moving stuff while we're talking, but um, the strategy that I like generically is um. I think it's an old classic, but like I don't know what I know when I'm playing that long. Um, I like the Pullman to be sort of in front of the line, able to get their free shots, and it kind of invites people in to press the pull. It's easy for the Pullman if they're, uh, and there's just some practice amongst the teams, but to fall back into the line while the other person that's right next to them, let's say in this example, this healer, just with the placement that they're in, is able to step forward and kind of take the place of where the pole is right now they become the person that intercepts anyone who decided to press and the poles got a lot of free shots they're they're only at risk to the other pole and in this case if we're again we're saying equal poles i would try to get my pole away from theirs but there's definitely a school of thought out there of poles fight the pole have the pole beat the pole and once you've beaten the pole you just kind of get to win the ditch field or in this case the 4v4 not everybody thinks that way, so it's it's hit or miss, and I think you'll you'll figure it out pretty fast. Like we might shift the our pole in this instance in between the warrior and healer pretty far away from the other pole, while maybe that druid has pressure like to run the left flank in this particular instance. Whatever, there's a lot of ifs and buts mm. and whatever can happen here, but um, that pullman being forward and inviting people in, I really really like. I think it's strong um, mob mentality. People are kind of dumb. <laughs> and so like i know what i'm supposed to do i can run the pole and so they just kind of sprint in to this guy assuming that they can get there while this individual falls back you know with their pole and then gets you know hammered by them because the pole just throws shots the whole time in like you have to try to run through that and then get through a teammate or teammates that are uh, practiced enough to step forward 
and basically close that off while they're still able to keep throwing pole shots in between the pole guy. Um, but, I mean, you know, just super aggressive. You just got to keep throwing shots. So there's no if every, you know, second, <laughs> whatever, if we want to put a time on it, it's just like shot. Shot, yeah, shot. and and another yeah. thing, kind of to to your point here is, if let's just say this square is the field, right? You're running yeah. a four v four v four. Again, you don't have any noticeable talent. Everybody's poles, swords, everything's exactly the same, right? Um, in in this configuration, I put my Florentine guy against the wall on the right side. I push them out as far as I can away from the other three, away from the Druid, the Paladin, and the Warrior, uh, brown, white, red, appropriately. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason why I do that is I want to see how many of the other people follow my Florentine guy out. So if my Florentine guy has, and, and again, this is everybody's equal here, if I only have 1v1, um, then as soon as Leon's called, if they're not chasing over to the Florentine guy, um, then, you know, my Florentine guy sacrifices here. And who do we have? Ad mana? Minor? Yeah, we add minion. Yeah, so just like the yeah. the black. So, yeah, a random minion. Black and green, right? I have my I have my warrior crash down. So Florentine crash down on the sword and board guy. And I let my my pole arm guy and my sword and board guy now come to my flank on the right hand side. So they, if your Florentine guy takes your sword and board guy, and in my opinion, Florentine guys are going to be better than sword and board guys because they got two things and sword and board guys have one thing. Um, so you have that. Now you have a cluster of people there and your pole arm can fight defensively behind the warrior while your sword and board guy goes out to the right and you've just kind of basically just turned a right flank on them. Um, now, depending on who dies where uh, depends on how the other team moves, right? Mm -hmm. But the key to that entire scenario, and this is a big factor in all team tactics, is position your people how you want them positioned. And just like in football, send somebody in motion. Send somebody out to the right, the far right, the far left. And see how many people chase them. How many people are they dedicating? Does it go in your favor? Or does it not go in your favor? And if nobody goes out there, well, now you have your Florentine guy that's just going to have free backs in just a minute. Because, uh, you know, you're hoping they get the speed. If two people go out, well, now you've went to two on one. And that frees up your guys to be three on two. Right? Uh, so it, it really comes down to the pre-Leon configuration. And I myself, I do this a lot of times, depending on where I am in the flank. I'll see how many people try to follow me before we call Leon, just to see what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a good way to explain that um, uh, for people to understand a little simpler is basically we're trying to create a bait scenario and the more threat you can create with your flow player um, or whoever you're having create the threat and be the, the bait. If you can create a bunch of threat here. And I mean, I mean, if you get these two people, you get two people from their four man team to go after one of your members. That means the other three members of your team now have a three V two. They should win. The only job of your bait is to survive. 
They don't have to win the fight. They have to survive. And even if they don't survive, they're like if they lose and the these two are taken care of before uh, this fight finishes. So the the two that were left off to the side, your three take care of. You've still got another three V two. You're still an advantage. Well, what I really like about and and the plan that Dizzy presented there is very much a, a him plan for sure. Not 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 a negative by any means, but that is definitely it's he he does it and it's great. So pra practical application. He, he actually has you know lots of experience with that particular plan. Mm -hmm. This this one I like quite a bit and I, I think is really smart. Sending one of your people out, um, not necessarily to die because if if they really the the Florentine person cutting off to the right or whatever like that. What's what's a pole's job generally, right? It's stab the stupid Florentine fighter. They deserve it. It almost just baits the pole to go away from the line fight, and like go with a, a border because they don't want to fight it one on one. Like that could still be risky, you know. So that that just kind of happens. And the great part now is with with our healer and paladin and druid kind of players, our red, white, and uh, brown. If they're also shifting left and pulling those other two people, that inside player, that sword and board player, you just you just leave that as a two v uh, a two v two. This healer now has an awesome opportunity to run that pole arm who doesn't have good protection. Now you could say the same about that border, but you have a pretty good matchup when it's a Florentine fighter and the pole arm if you can get your free shots while you still have the numbers advantage before they decide to cut off and go get that pull. So this whole time, this warrior... Now, if we're talking about this being, like, a hard wall here for this line, I mm -hmm. think our circles aren't to scale, so, like, I think there's more space for them to sneak through than this. Mm -hmm. But if they can continue to rotate around right, and not necessarily get around past them, if they can get around past them, that's spectacular. But odds are the the pull and the, the shieldmen end up turning a little too far here. And if they turn just far enough, it's, it's really excellent, because the healer or the red player in this case, it just needs one, one instance. So like right here, oh, I mean, that's even more that we need, but harder to say when it comes to a graph, but in person, there's this opportunity. And if you're looking for it, you absolutely should get this gut reaction of that is my one-on-one. -on -one. I get to go. I'm going, this mm -hmm. is it. That's the person, this is my time to kill the pole. The pole is going to get one shot probably at your leg. You can just cheese your equipment to block that if you need to. Uh, hell, jump it if you're athletic. That's pretty funny. Uh, bad advice. But it's funny if you can do it. You might get lifted off the ground by getting stabbed in the wiener, so be careful. But uh, <laughs> there should be this gut reaction pretty much, and that this outside right red player with the sword and shield should be looking for that free pick. Because if they come crash in, one, it's going to be kind of chaos. This is chaos in a, a little bit different way from the first scenario. But your Florentine warrior now gets to come in because they also have their 1v1 on the border. And in Dizzy's opinion, speak for him for a second here, they got two things. They should have the advantage. They should be able to beat this border. So if they bust that border, the polearm gets run. Even if the polearm, let's say, escapes, like their cowardice knows no bounds and they just kind of flee like a son of a bitch, they're gone. Perfect. That border is dead, and you're still into a 4v3. And now you have two people that can go and rotate around that right flank and just continue to roll this, or continue to turn this. And, and fighting's kind of chaos, so you'll see this kind of spiral generally clockwise. Or is it counterclockwise? Let me think here. It's been a minute. I think it's counterclockwise. Uh, right away, this one was going as counterclockwise. Yeah. Okay, there, there we go. Well, whatever. So in this case, yeah, it'll just kind of keep spiraling that way if this is the way that combat was pushing. And that's super, super cool. It's a very safe pick. Um, 
And now, if they want to send the 1v1, like we talked about earlier, like Dizzy kind of mentioned, cool. Or if it's going to be like one border for our flow guy, like that's okay. If we think, I mean, if everybody's equal, then I guess it's a coin flip on who's going to actually win the engagement there. Um, but I mean, it's it's never all equal. We we can we can plan sort of when you have your team comp for who. Yeah. Will have position, mm -hmm. right? Well, I mean, I can I can tell you of the it's 20 plus years of ditching that I do now. Egos jump in on on ditches like it's nobody's business, and there's nothing worse and nothing that I've seen light so many people's eyes than when they have a 300 plus pound dude run them down and tell them how if he was as skinny as they were, they'd have already been dead 20 seconds sooner, right? Um, uh. <laughs> that that gets inspiration. Um, but but again, if this is me in this configuration, if I'm the Florentinist here, if I get the 1v1, that's fine. However that pans out, it pans out. You may hear me yell dead and I trade in the next round. Happens very often. But the thing that I look for as a Florentine person is I want that polearm to come over and try to stab me. I want to have antagonized that polearm so much in this day that they're trying to put the front of my stomach through my spine. I want every shot to be telegraphed hard, just wanting to destroy me because when they do and I sneak out to the right, I fake in like I'm going to charge that polearm. Sure. I may be late, may not be late. They don't know that. They just know they want to stab me hard. And if I can fake in between them and then get that get my right hand all the way across on their board on the boardman's side nine times out of ten that polearm guy will smack the absolute bejesus out of the sword and shield guy with their weapon a hundred percent of the time ninety percent of the time i said nine out of ten yeah it, because it i've put my yeah i've put myself in a position where i've made that person want to physically hurt me now, sure, that's not the game we play, but that's it's the game we play, right? <laughs> people, people don't like being made look full of, especially by people they think they should be, you know, winning over. Mm -hmm. And Florentine guys, no matter what shape or size, pole people know that is their job to just stab the Florentine guy, get him out of commission. Mm -hmm. And so whenever their focus becomes stab me, if our healer here, Sword and Board, is Death Lily or literally any other member of the Chosen, because they all love running after poles, as soon as they crash in and smack their uh, sword, uh, the yellow guy, right, who would have moved in a little bit to make sure the pole guy, so just move him straight down just a little bit, just straight down. There you go. He's going to now get in the way. My Sword and Shield guy has got nothing but daylights on the pole guy and he's probably even might even get a free shot on the sword and board guy because i've just made him well one he's just got stunned because he got hafted by his you know polearm buddy and i'm cackling and i'm hitting him and so now we have our 2v2 over here but that's gonna let this sword and board guy destroy the pole maybe get a free shot on yellow maybe not but now he's crashing back over because green and black player has no idea what's happening. He thinks his team is working, and he's already sunk in, so he's going to move straight down a little bit. 
to move the yeah he's gonna move straight down the other guy's gonna move with him because you know they've been taught that fighting with teams is the way it is Mm -hmm. now you have your 2v2 in the front and you have a free roamer in the back let's just say red yellow purple are all dead because they were just amazing and killed one another there you go this is the other kind of neat part because there's there's another trap here like if the green and black person, let's say they're, they're aware of this and, you know, they see the, the, the red player tear off to go after the pole. They have two choices, and I think one of them is better than the other, um, but it's kind of a trap one, so it's a little tough. They have the same opportunity to try to run this pole, right? Or they can try to run after the red sword and border. One of these things is better than the other one. I think the one that is better is to, if they see this happen, you're, you can't stop, unless you are just so fast. And I mean, and you're going to try to catch them after they already got a, a running start. You're never going to really stop that red sword and border. Pressing that pole and really trying, like, while they're tied up in their fight, you only have a few seconds. I mean, we're talking about, like, five seconds. You mm-hmm. know, like, this, this is all happening very, very quickly their best chance to try to pull a W out of here, out of the chaos that let's say the, um, the team that initiated. So our purple, red, white, and Brown team, that team that initiated this, you've got a quick decision and the decision's got to be, if I kill their pole arm and we lost our pole arm, but me and my blue and black minion get out of this, we have a chance because if we assume that our purple warrior, the yellow die, the pole dies, but they catch a pole and the druid lives, it's back down to a 2v2, and it's basically sword and shield versus sword and shield versus, I, I guess, Florentine, because that's what that guy is. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's like a best-case scenario of them trying to respond in chaos. And most people aren't responding well in chaos. They see someone go tearing off, and, and I've done it myself. I'm like, uh, watch your back, or, you know, look out, John, you're going to die. And I don't do anything. I'm just busy <laughs> yelling at my teammate. While I'm watching this transpire, and I can't, I, um, you know, it's a little, oh God, they initiated, and I wasn't prepared, and that can, uh, uh, be a little bit chaotic, um, as it were. So, uh, anyways, it's all kind of the same, and this is a lot of, um, a lot of what ifs, but as you can see, there are some similarities, and Dizzy and I do have generally different-ish opinions on this. But so, it's kind of neat to see what what comes from these these engagements. I think I think it's pretty pretty fucking cool. It is. It is. This is a rabbit hole we could take days to go down. But the thing that I noticed on both of these strategies is basically, and, and this is a lot of strategies. If you're playing small teams, a lot of strategies are about creating opportunities where you have better numbers, and then can continue to bring those numbers around. So. Like the warrior pulling off, the whole point of this warrior getting off is to get two people. Dizzy annoying this Pullman the whole time or the Pullman just being a hero and trying to kill the warrior. If the pole goes by itself, that's probably not a great plan because, I mean, all you have to do is pin one weapon and, and get it. But is our flow fighter a coward? Right. There, There's a... Yeah, there's a there's a common statement that if you find two people, one of them is a hero, the other is a coward. There's it it doesn't really matter if they're a hero relative to well, I, the rest I of the world. I don't mean, I don't mean too. I just mean like there is a certain kind of sociopath 
that or a psychopath or whichever you prefer that wants to go and deal with someone swinging around eight feet of hate when you don't have my sweet, beautiful safety blanket that is a shield. Mm-hmm. Like Dizzy said, he wants to get them riled up so they try to, you know, bring a little bit of hate to his life, makes his life easier. But that's a person who is well-versed in this. If we're talking the regular amp garter, the Florentine fighter mostly doesn't want to go run that. We, we watch it all the time. They mm-hmm. sit at about eight feet or seven feet, and they just get karate chopped into death, and they don't actually pull any work. So in some instances, for the regular game, you might be able to just send your Pullman over there. If they're a, a, right. a, a enough bullfighter. That, that Florentine guy may not even run him. This this could be a, a trap scenario we're giving to the regular player, why or the regular amp guard player, right? Like that's mm-hmm. yeah, you know, just that is critical. That, that absolutely critical to what you're saying. You have to, um, because when you're fighting a pole arm, it doesn't matter. I've played not amp guard and amp guard, and poles, no matter how they're built, they're gonna have a little bit of stank on them. And if you're not willing to accept the the hit that is coming, it doesn't matter if you win or lose, you're going to get stroked with a polearm, no matter what, 100% of the time. So you have to be willing to take that hit. You have to be willing to sacrifice for that and, and push up. And, um, you know, kind of to Death Lily's point here, if you have somebody that is even – you even a slightest bit of hesitation and ditching five to six seconds usually is all around takes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and this is like really good fighting, right? Not like the one person that wants the one V one, everybody that's ditching. Um, but if you have, if you have your Florentine guy that, you know, just kind of shadows out a little bit to the right, you put him in motion and you have, let's say timid Florentine guy here. And um, mediocre to high, yeah, mid mid level pole guy. Florentine guy's afraid to hit. Florentine guy gets ate up by the pole, and now you have two sword and boards and a Florentine guy on the opposite team, and this pole is going to have free shots, mm-hmm. right? Because he went outside, he stabbed the fool out of the Florentine guy. And then he's going to come in and he's going to stab the red guy because his confidence is like through the roof because he just stabbed his Florentine guy. He's got his plus eight to charisma now. And so now he's taken out two players and now it's four on two and the, and the entire line just collapses. Right. Mm. It, it all really depends on can your motion person one cause enough threat because some people, okay, sure. Person player X is over on the left. I don't care. They can be on the left. They're they're slow. They're timid. They don't want to do anything. Whenever they get over to the line and try to backstab me, I'm just gonna you know jack the fool out of them and go on about my day. Um, so yes, exactly as Death Lily said, this person, Florentine guy, or even if it's a sword and board guy, whoever it is that is pretending to be your threat, if they're not willing to mix it up. Your line is good as dead, and you put everybody out to dry off of that one maneuver. Right. So the the um, if you're putting someone out on bait, they have to understand what their role is because if they're going out there as bait, they have to understand that. If you put a timid player out as bait, they're going to get eaten, and you're going to lose the trap because 
if the trap is have an aggressive or very hyper mobile player out here, because I don't even think if this player is. So, Merrick, we can use you as the example. Okay. Okay. So I think that you are athletic enough and capable enough to do this and smart enough to know. And then this is the other, the negative to this. There's the timid player. And then there's the uh, too um, haphazardly aggressive player. Because just running in at the wrong time is really, really rough. I almost don't ever need... I need the player to be active and, and a threat, which is what you would be. But I don't actually need you to engage them unless it's favorable. Right, they that's say, what I was saying. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They just, But there's enough players that just, like, they run out there, they don't get far enough on the turn. Like, they just get to, like, this angle that this warrior's at right now. Not even that far, that's too far out. They'll get, like... They're like, look, I've totally taking the corner and then they try to run straight in on that nah that's straight sorry i had an, an angle straight 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 into the the two like dead oh center. this way yeah they'll oh people do it they're like i have created a flank look at me go and it's no you really got to make that rotation i i just didn't want to undersell how important if, if you yeah, have you an overzealous presser go over here it's you gotta get around enough to do it and then i don't really care if they overpress on it press too hard at least they got around them or turned them so that our team has good free shots. Right. They, the, they just run straight in. Uh, not straight in, but they, they, they don't make a far enough angle. I, I really didn't want to miss, miss out on the opportunity to sell how important I think that positioning is. Yeah. The, if you're planning a bait of any kind, your bait has to know what they're doing, and they have to be willing to take those risks. They have to be willing to know, like, if this guy goes over here, regardless of who they are they have to know that their job is to get at least two of these people to turn or move or change or direction one. i mean if they get if you win your one-on-one -on -one, that's also acceptable right if you win your one-on-one -on -one, that's great but if we're assuming equal fight here this is this is a one-on-one -on -one that's going to go on for a little bit and this well we didn't discuss it uh, as being chosen there is an option <laughs> that uh, the regular amp garter would have and not all chosen follow this but uh, you could just hit that bitch in the leg and go. Like, that's a totally viable <laughs> option. Like, oh, oh, yeah, we're definitely fighting. Leg, see a sucker, and then you go and cut off to go help your team. Like, that. that's, if we're talking regular amp guard where legs matter and legs are taken and whatever, it is an option. And in equal skill, that's that's next level trickery right there. Mm -hmm. To suddenly bust somebody in the leg. You know, it's it's very much a, a simple thing in the grand scheme of amp guard, but that's a hell of a tool for a player in uh, mid level or under. And they can really, even if they're mismatched in strength, that warrior takes that leg. They did a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you've and created you've created the three v four now because you can go leave yep. that player and do what you want, and you've created the numerical advantage again. Because unless these this team can get back to their wounded player. Well, that's also a trap, in my opinion. Dizzy can say otherwise, and this will be the question that I'll pose. I think that if they have a legged man in the field, it is almost worse to go team up with that person unless they are really good at communicating and working with these individuals. That legged person is going to get their teammates killed. Because they're, they're a static yeah, point. No, whenever they get legged, they're dead to me. I don't care what happened to them. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll clean up the line and, you know, they can stand back up. They were looking ridiculous for taking a leg. Is, okay, is this, if you've got a legged player, is the lack of mobility the problem? It, it can be that because now if our, if our team wants to rotate around 
that legged person. They're bringing nothing to the table. They don't really have any shots here. They're not even really defensively super helpful. In 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 some instances, right? The the pole arm person can work around that border and it's hard to run them down since the pole can still get free shots while the legged boardman is there. But frankly, if you if it's not a 1v2, you can just rotate. I mean, I would probably take those two sets of twos and then just rotate around them, like turn and burn, but with four. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to work on that guy. There. Yeah, no, I I stay away from like people. They're they're probably the most dangerous people in Amker, and I don't mean that by they'll make me lose the match or they'll hurt me. I mean that if I get near them, odds are they're going to try to do something silly. And they're going to get in my way and go back to my first rule about not getting in my way. Mm-hmm. And then we both die. And I'm really angry at that point because, you know, Arthon should have killed them. <laughs> it is Arthon's fault. I've said this a few times when I've gotten legged and my teammates try to come and work with me. If I'm like posted or even even taking the leg, I'm generally just like, look, if it's a 2v1, just go get your one on one. Even if the skill is kind of a mismatch, if they take anything, they've made it equal fights for me, or maybe an advantage, depending on the leg, arm, etc. And I will do my best then to clean up the 1v1 now. Or they just have a better chance, because if they're they're hoping that I can do something, odds are I might try, but if I like fall over or like I don't reach them, they may try to help and die for it, and now I'm in a crappy position because I've just like compromised all my defense trying to make a play that I can't really do. They're almost better off just like, look, here's the plan. I need you to just take their sword arm. I, it doesn't matter if you die. You take their sword arm, I'll, I'll handle the rest. You know, so, like whatever the case. This is confidence and skill, I guess, but like, that's a really big even if we simo there, like I just gotta hit him anywhere. I can just kind of suicide into their body or something and mm-hmm. it, you know, AAW, but. but it's kind of interesting this comes up right because this was a topic that uh I, I don't know the young man's name or well whatever i don't know this is the internet now i don't know this individual personally uh but uh kyle bates i think he's a corsair or maggot i think he's a corsair um he, he brought it up on unmod or made a big post about it a comment about legging being you know, a very integral part of ditching and, and, and good for winning. And he, he's not wrong, right? If you leg people and you get them away from you, then honestly, if I'm the pole person and I've legged like four people and the team is 4v4, I just want my other team to go sit down. I want them to get away from me where I can just do my pole work and, you know, just kill everybody because... One, they're in mobile, so they're not all going to run me down on their knees. Mm-hmm. And if they do, I'm just going to mosey backwards and watch them bloody their knees while they're running on rocks in Central Texas. Two, I still have eight foot. The best they have is three foot. So great weapon versus, you know, sword. So I can stand on the outside all day long, take my pokes. If they huddle together, I can take better pokes at more people. Um, I literally have just, if I've just legged everybody, I've given my team an early day. They can just walk away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll clean it up in a minute. So there's definitely a, there's a valid response there. And I, I would even dare say if you are not as good as somebody when it comes to martial prowess in a ditch, 
take their leg. Absolutely take your leg. You've done more probably for your team by hitting that person in the leg and then dying and getting out of the way than you ever could if you could have killed at least two people. And I say, why? 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 I hate that. Why? Why? Because it's really strong and I just hate it. (laughs) No, it's absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. Yes, it is. So, so strong. It really, it really, really is. Yeah, I mean, it is. And and so if you, if you can get that, um, sure, get that leg and, and get out of there. I mean, well, sure, and you, you, it, it, you just can't undersell this. Like, there, there's no way to undersell this. If you have the Warlord in front of you and you're like the three Order of the Warrior person, don't be too intimidated. Your death for that Warlord's leg, if they can't get it back, is worth gold. Like, I, I hate to recommend it, because, man, is it not fun to sit there legged in a field. But I will get to sit my ass down for five minutes while the ditch, you know, does its thing, and here comes, like, eight people I lost. Good job. You you won, you won the ditch. I mean, you at least took out a, a strong player from their ability to then hopefully get, you know, kills and whatever uh, the Warlord Sword Knight person equates that to, whatever that actually is. Mm-hmm. Absol- absolutely. If you... If you take away their best person's martial ability, which is to cover ground, fake you out, and murder you by legging them, you have saved your entire team. Like, literally, hands down. I, I know a lot of people carry on about cardio, cardio and, and Sir Diego having all this cardio and running up and down and doing all this stuff. But the most pride that I've ever taken ever was having this newer person and I said, hey, if you get near me, just hit that guy in the leg. I don't care what else you do, hit that guy in the leg. And just watching Diego's face just melt as everyone else is fighting away away from him. And not getting a kill count is amazing. I love it. Tell your friends. Well, but that's what we should be doing in team scenarios anyways. And being able to understand like where our matchups are going to be. Because if you have your 4v4 here, and let's say Diego's the uh, the, the yellow. Oh, sorry, that guess Yeah, the yellow's on that other team. He's that yellow player. And this warrior here now, instead of it being dizzy, is our, like, third order of the warrior person. And they are willing to just run in and die for the double leg or the leg or the whatever. They are a superstar. Because if Dizzy's now, let's say, the uh, the brown fighter here, just for whatever just he's their sword and shield guy over here we got to keep our uh warlord for our third level guy and sometimes the third level person's gonna get out of there like they're gonna just get like that double leg and take down the warlord and holy crap that's worth every it's every every single piece you take out the best fighter for your third best or they live or whatever excellent it's not gonna work every time right like it's it's still a warlord they're still good they're still they're gonna they're gonna catch on but um Here's an example for Merrick, um, a member of the Tiger Clan, um, used to be super, super good at this when they were active, and when it was probably my first year, uh, Connor was actually really great at this. Um, we did a lot more team fighting half a decade plus ago, um, when Tiger's pretty active up here, and when we were doing that team fighting, it was a lot of times we would have, um, there'd be like, uh, the two warlords and sword knights here was uh, was Emhog and uh, Raphael. They were the ones that were active anyways and playing. It was Garrick, but we never really we didn't see him very much. Maybe my first year he was out. And what 
Connor did so, so, so well was press in and kill Raphael. He, or he'd take his leg, or he'd take his sword arm, or whatever. And so we would get to keep Michael alive. He, we wouldn't have to put it on their best player. And Connor's job, and I huge props to him back in the old the old day here, was I will go die on this guy. And I will take him with me, or I will wound him. I'm doing my job. And it was every single round, and it was awesome. And then Michael could go run the flank when he uh, hadn't had his heart explode. And, you know, he was still able to, you know, go and press, 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 press every round. And it was just stellar to see. And this was a great example about this when we were all pretty fresh and, and new in this game. So it was really, really powerful. And that was a player who was not a coward. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, was was great. So Yeah, I, the... It falls back to just creating opportunities, creating openings, and creating mismatch numbers in your advantage. If if that warrior goes off to the side and the other team decides to be careful and only send one other person, uh, leg, leave. Oh, okay. Now it's a 4v3 again. Very simple. Um, the thing that I've... It's, it's a little trickier and you have to be able to do your... Understand how to move people around the battlefield. But if... I mean, I know you guys have done it, but... I love doing this. If you've got somebody that's on your team and legged, like say this warrior got legged out of that scenario and it's come down to just, you know, it's, it's a legged person and one enemy. I really just like rotating until I can create the situation that their back is to the legged person. It, it happens more than it should. It's it really complicated. does. It's not that difficult if you know how to just kind of keep the threat going and just be within their range, play with their range a little bit, and just keep moving a little bit to the point that they either forget or don't realize that the person behind them is your teammate. Because I've done that with Jay and against Jay, and I like it a lot. It's stupid. Um, it's always a bummer to forget about the person <laughs> that like, was legged in the field. It never feels good. <laughs> it doesn't, but it's a great. It, it literally means you're still utilizing your player in the field. Your legged player is still an option. It's just not you're stuck next to them because that does reduce your mobility. It also creates that same situation that uh, Dizzy talked about earlier. If you've got a person, if you've got two people in a line fighting, and you can just all of a sudden get them lined up, you have stopped having a two v one, and you've created a one v one. This is a lot more problematic with a pole because the pole has a hard time moving around that other person if they're not practiced with it. But like this is now a 1v1 in a line and this healer player has to run around to be make it a 2v2 a 2v1. Um that's if the warrior, the two stake is stuck, the other team has the opportunity to create these these line opportunities that they're not creating they're not fighting two people, they're fighting one. I mean that's that's more of one versus many, which is a lot about movement, but so is team fighting. Team fighting is about movement together instead of against a team. And I I would even say if if you're talking about ditching here, right? And and all things equal still, let's say and you don't have to move these guys around, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just say you're your brown eyes sort board and your white pole arm have just been wrecking round after round they're winning so now it's 2v6 right 
So 2v6, it is critical to know when to die, right? So sure, you may have the other two players uh, out there. So you have 2v6 and everybody's going in. Well, if your best guy goes out and dies the very first round and you see those two players are, are winded, everybody die. It's absolutely critical to know when to die. Because you're really physically wearing out the other team. Yeah, Ooh, it's ditch a, field strategy. The, oh, the, it's a critical part of it. Know when to die. Well, yeah, there's there's definitely times you don't want to win, uh, as well, right? Like in this can in this case, like it's really cool and it's awesome bragging rights if the the druid and the paladin tear these guys up, they don't die, and they like do it a couple of times. But boy, does it suck if that pole arm dies. And you lose, or oh, sorry, and you still win, and you still yeah. win, because now, now it's the druid versus all of that. You, honestly, what I like, because it's not super super often that the two are gonna like run the six over and over again. They shouldn't, right? It's kind of math. Um, but you know who'd be a great target to collect that other polearm? Because I don't want to have to keep fighting against fucking polearms. <laughs> let's let's kill that guy first and lose. Awesome. Even if we had the ability to win, we're gonna die on him. Oh no, shucks. All right, well that pulls over. And then, oh no, we definitely killed Purple Warrior, and but we lost. Oh no. And now we've built a much stronger team that's going to go tear up this 4v4. Oh Yeah, absolutely. And that is critical to know when to die, right? You, uh -huh. you kill the person and you know who you wanted. Now you die on maybe an arm shot or a leg shot or whatever, right? You, you just, me. You you just, just got me, up. man. That's a good shot. Man, uh, you're amazing today. And then you build your team back. And this... This is kind of a, a lost art that I've seen. So I, I took a little bit of time off. And um, whenever I came back, everybody was 1v1ing, right? There was yeah. hardly any dipping at all. And I feel like this art was kind of lost. It, it was definitely not lost in the CK or, you know, at Torch Fighter practice. But it seemed to be lost in a lot of the other kingdoms where I would fight, you know, at Clan wetlands things are like that people they would get so hung up in the winning part that they would forget in ditching you could recruit <laughs> right and, and you <laughs> want to recruit appropriately so you have the mega team and then sure it gets less fun for the other people but guess what happens with the mega team you eventually get tired and when they get tired the other team can start picking and choosing who they want and when to die and and it's it's a game within a game within a game. It's, uh, and yeah. that's what I love about it. Well, here's a great opportunity. So if this is how it got rebuilt, like, and let's say they've built up one more time. Well, they didn't have to build up one more time. Point is, is my goal would be, we should probably just get one of those pole arms. Like, I don't really, you know, we don't want to win this round, but we want to kill one of them first. I, it doesn't matter. Green, green and black, you're the bravest guy on our team. It's your job to go sprint in there and die on, on white. <laughs> like, we don't care. The rest of us are going to definitely not win the round. And now we've got a pole arm, and now we're in a position of uh, 5v3, and we'll probably win those. I, again, this is just ditch shenanigans. So, like, it's, you know, but it's, it's the game inside the game, as Dizzy put it. It's a... Uh... It's it's fun. That's I know we weren't really talking about that, but it's, no. But it's... it is about building your team. It is about choosing who you're you're gonna play with on your your situations and how uh, some of these few versus many can work out. Because like, I mean, most of the time in ditch, 
Okay, unless the ditch is very large, most of the time there is a numerical in uh, uh, like disvalue on one side. One team has more than the other. Um, and who you have in your team matters. It also matters how you position those people. Because, I mean, if we end up with that, that uh, would it be six, five V three in this scenario. Um, this, this group of three better know their, their, their cock and balls, uh, three movement team. If they want to win this fight and pick off who they need to, um, on the other side, they, this team probably might, if they're, if they're playing, you know, strategically and intelligently, they're probably going to want to understand turn and burn or a bait mechanic to try to get this three separated or moved out because they, they're looking at a fairly strong front, but it doesn't have any flanks. So it, it, I think ditch is the perfect time to practice small team tactics because you remove all of the class mechanics, you remove throwies and archery and all these extra things that add different layers of complexity, but really get you to you the core remove, of what it is. You don't remove archery and throwing projectiles in the ditch or the shield crushing aspects of a pole arm those are all gentleman rules i've i've seen the the wily west and 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 not gentlemanly areas allow those things and right? if, if those are there they can use it it's just a lot of the ditches and i don't want to say polaris plays texas style ditch because it is just melee weapons for the most part um i think it's actually just melee weapons but yeah there are other ditches and there are other types of games that happen with the extra things, uh, the the bowmen or somebody with throwies or whatever. I mean, heck, Lily shows up with 30 small throwies and decides to just snipe people all day long. I think that just since you touched the archer, if we had an archer on this team of three, uh, I pretty much have one goal for them, and it's shoot that fucking polearm. You kill him first, and we're going to collect us a polearm. That's your job. You get him. I don't care what else you do, but that guy needs to die. He's dying first. Just kill him. I don't care what happens. If we lose that round, excellent. We get a pull. If we win that round, hopefully we didn't lose anybody. Like, because the archer doesn't bring a lot of frontline pressure anymore, so it's still mm -hmm. a 3v5, and somebody getting around that archer is in a lot of trouble, if they only brought the bow. And this yeah. is, again, a ditch scenario where it's not really a class and that no one can save themselves from getting run. But uh, yeah, or or shoot the Florentiner. Like that's also acceptable too. But I really want the pull dead first, and then it's probably pull, then flow, then legs, and or you can kill the border. Great, but that's generally a hard shot. So it's yeah, uh, and and I mean it practice you practice you practice every aspect of amp guard when you ditch. Mm -hmm. Um, you may not be casting spells. You may not be. You know, throwing rocks, things of that nature. I mean, I, I knew your point. I was just also pointing out yeah. that there's some ludicrous stuff out there, right? <laughs> um, but you practice and you start to know range. Mm -hmm. You start to know how close somebody can be to tag you and how close they can't be. And if you spend enough time in the ditch, that transfers over to tournaments. It transfers over to battle gaming. So now let's say you're the Florentine guy over on the right-hand side and you're playing, uh, let's say, Scout, right? Uh, Barbarian. You got three points of armor, you're going Florentine. Mm -hmm. um, and your sword and board guy is a healer. Well, 
if you start yelling at the healer, <laughs> it, people just mentally start freezing up. They don't know. They can't remember their incantations appropriately. If you just start randomly yelling at them or, you know, just anything to kind of get in their mind space a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. But you have armor. They don't have their ability, which is casting. You are going to destroy them. Just say hit point to hit point. You have armor. They don't. They die. And you kind of continue that along. Then you're you're talking about a completely different game. But you... Mm-hmm. The principle that you learned in the ditch was closing the space, getting somebody to follow you, getting people to dedicate to you, knowing what can kill you and what range can't kill you translates over to that. And the more stuff you stack on your stuff, uh, armor, spell balls, things of that nature, the only more formidable do you get. That's why, you know, if you look back on all the old ESAM boards and old Facebook pages and stuff like that, people are like, oh, well, this guy's a warlord. He probably can't battle game too well. But then that warlord gets out there and they battle game and they decimate your team, usually single-handedly, because they went from just having melee equipment to kill you with to now they have all of these abilities that they mm-hmm. can kill you with and physically kill you with melee, right? Um, so I, I, I think if you really ever want to be a master of battle, you got to get in the ditch. And I'm not a master of battle. I don't even think I got two master uh, uh, battle you're, orders. You're pretty bad at those battle games, man. I don't I'm know. Terrible, just, terrible. Just um, but I, I do feel that uh, in the long run, that is absolutely where it, where you need to be. You need to practice. You get mm-hmm. those the little practices out of the way, and that's going to take care of itself with the things that don't require physical understanding of range and don't require the ins and outs of maneuvering. Yeah. It's and the ditch is I, I think this is also a beautiful part of the ditch is that it's kind of naturally competitive. It's it's a a step up of competitiveness above battle games a lot of the time, I think, because it might just be the people that are in the ditch or it might just be the people that are uh in the battle games compared to who's in the ditch. The ditch has a little bit more of an edge to it. And it is that great opportunity to try to push and learn those tactics and strategies, as well as all of the fighting mechanics you get and you want to know for tournaments and and for getting better at fighting. You can learn the team mechanics as well. You just have to be aware that they're present. You have to take your time and actually study what's going on. Um, If you're lucky enough, get somebody to stand off to the side, like a, a vet or anybody else that's been playing for a long time and watch and they can critique or give you pointers or uh, get you a, a one step closer to being better at team fighting. Um, I know for the Tigers, Michael does it a lot. Um, he also does it for Jay, which is entertaining because he'll play both sides. And then critique is all at the end of the game. And it's it's a great time because it's somebody that has all the experience and has all this knowledge looking at us and going, all right, why did you run by yourself to take on two people? And if your answer is a good answer, great. If your answer is, I thought I could take both of them, you're probably not going to win that argument most of the time, unless you're Jay and they were not wow. skilled that's players. A, but that, well, that's a that's a different thing, though, right? That's matchups. It's looking for good opportunities. Right. You know, it's, there's a whole. That's the. But that's more like going to be the hero fighting than it is uh, team fighting, which is its own 
its own mess. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. I. I lost our thing. Where'd it go? Okay. So. We pretty much hit everything on our list of like basic layouts. Um. It, uh, we can we can go over some of them, make them very obvious. A cock and balls is very straightforward. You put a pole arm between two either boardmen or defensive people, and it, it's very front heavy, but it can easily get flanked. Um, I mean, the, you guys have anything more to say on the that very simple lineup? Uh, I think it just depends on what your. It, it comes down to matchups. Like how much how much do you play with the individuals that you are teamed with? How well do you know the opponents in front of you? Is there terrain? Uh, I mean, there's just so many reasons to do certain things. Um, sometimes just vibing with your team and not necessarily picking any one particular strategy to start. Understanding fundamental like teamwork stuff is important, right? So this is and the I guess advanced side. Um, but just kind of cycling through things to see how they work, depending on what's up. Because if it's just straight open field battles, uh, I mean, it can, it can become chaos so quickly. But if you're fighting on a bridge, that's kind of different. If you're fighting when there's some walls that make naturally occurring small like things, that's kind of different. Uh, do we have casting? Do we have arrows? Do we have projectiles? So like, there there's a lot of a lot of factors, and I think that people should try them in situations and stuff, and just keep in mind the things that we've kind of talked about uh, up to this point uh, look for your matchups look for what's good mm-hmm. uh, the skill is never going to be totally equal and uh, i mean your poll needs to be super active i know we've talked about this uh on many occasions at this point not necessarily mm-hmm. on video but if your poll is very very passive it's very hard to work around your poll i think that they're generally the workhorse of the team when it comes to this uh, that next or i guess you could argue about who's the most important but that person that's coming off is really really important but in this particular scenario your your pole is the the big guy like he's got to do a lot of the work he's he's, he's your dps like oh. if it's not a pole it's somebody doing the most damage yeah. right uh, well well i think they're going to do the most work and they may do the most uh collective damage if that counts like mm-hmm. legs arms etc they may not get every kill but they soften everything up for the rest of your team or for the cleanup and stuff. I mean, if they can get the kills, great. Um, if it's this 3v5, that's a kind of different mess, especially if they have a pole. If they don't have that pole arm, that's kind of a different thing. You know, like mm-hmm. now you have the pole that has a great advantage because they have support weapons, but they have numbers. So if they don't have a coward, they can just try to sacrifice a guy on the pole to start with and just get him. Uh, there, there's just, there's, there's so much. I mean, like it, it can be very simple though. Um, but I think there's there's really quite a bit to it. I, I would go through all the different stuff. Try to bait guys in, make them make dumb decisions, look mm-hmm. for matchups. Anyways, that's that's enough out of out of me for that on this one particular thing. <laughs> um No, I think but so there's a there's a I've got a whole other hour long video where I go over a lot of like basic movements and um basic layouts of uh two v twos, three v threes, four v fours, and some five v fives. Um, after a certain point, it just starts turning into modifications of the same maneuvers. Um, so that'll be, uh, a separate video, but it's, it's there. You guys can look through it. Uh, I also recommend to watch that one on, on YouTube because it's a lot of graphics. Um, do we have any other things we want to hit on or remind our, our, uh, our listeners before we 
clear this up and uh, let us all go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the only thing that I would really kind of concrete in or solidify, and maybe I'm just saying this to hear myself talk right now, but that's okay. Um, the the lineups that we went over today, the talkings that we went over, literally come down to everything's equal, all but everybody's fighting with the same type of equipment. Your flow guys, your pole guys, everybody's using the exact same thing. You're using the small pieces, putting people in motion, uh, getting people to sink down, all of that just to see how the next round is going to go. It's mm -hmm. kind of the long con thing, right? Um, if this is real life, am I fighting in New Mexico? Am I fighting in Minnesota? Am I fighting in Florida? Am I fighting in Central Texas? Uh, and the reason why is because if I'm fighting in New Mexico, that is a few thousand feet above where me and my team normally fight. So we're sucking air the entire time. Even our most athletic guys are sucking air. Right? If if you have somebody that's coming from the frozen north down to central Texas and it's your first spring war and it's in August and it's 115 in the shade, it, I don't care what your skill level is, those physical attributes are going to come in and you're going to start, you know, melting right away. So yeah. everything we went over is just a very, very, very basic level of understanding. Um, uh, that's where if you're really dedicated with your team and you're running the same four people, the same five people, mm -hmm. you need to start communicating with them, figuring out what is going to work best for you. Are you all going to run around, you know, like, a bunch of crazy people and just try to do your own thing and get all your kill counts in. Are you going to be more of a team centric, uh, like the Justicars mm -hmm. where, where they, they had people that were dedicated to certain things and it didn't matter who was going out in motion. It is, if I fight this style, this is the person I'm going after a hundred percent of the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's all I wanted to say on that. No, it's a, if you've got a team and you're practicing with them, you're going to have a better time in team fights because practice, practice does not make perfect. Practice makes you better as long as you're learning from it because practice making you perfect is bullshit. You don't get perfect by just practice. You've got to do the extra work. You can't just clock in at the gym and expect, you know, like, aha, I've scanned in today. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm now fit. Look at all the fitness I have gained. You know, there's. <laughs> There's a certain level of effort. I think that I figured matters. it out. <laughs> that, that's, that's what it is. I just gotta, gotta scan the card. I nailed it. Go hit the uh, the tanning beds and the the hydro beds at the oh. PF. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, you gotta you gotta put in the time and and really it's just trying things with friends and seeing what happens, seeing how it works, talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the car ride from an event is such a great time to to reflect and learn, like. Mm -hmm. Some of the best ideas have come out of just driving in the car after going to the event and, and you know doing that. It's the best part about the road trip side of Amcard. Don't get to do that so much these days, but super, super worth it for, for picking oh, yes. up these skills. If you have the opportunity to drive to any event, distance, doesn't matter, go for a longer one, with the team you want to fight with, that team will become way better. And it's just it, time in the in the book and in the mindset and the teamwork. It's it's great. Spring hey, Wars like War starts in three days. <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't know if I'll get this posted before Spring War, but we'll work on that. 
see. Minnesota, if you started driving on Tuesday. It is. You know, it's 16 and a half hours, 19 and a half hours, something like that. No? Uh, like $400 for gas. San, San Antonio is 19 and a half hours, and it's in Seguin, so that adds like 40 minutes. So you really have got like a 20-hour drive with no stops. All right. So, but you got to stop two every two days. You know, yeah, that's a one-day trip. 24 hours, no problem. Short stops, you know. Cycle your drivers, man. Make sure everybody's got a valid driver's license and no warrants. <laughs> well, uh, maybe the no warrants part. You don't want to not make it to the event, but valid driver's license. Ah, I left it in the my other pants. The cops will never know. No, I would never suggest that you do that. Yeah, uh, if people can make it, that's super cool. It's going to be a pimp event. I know this is a short timing for for anybody. And if this comes out after the event has happened, I'm sure it was a great opportunity for us to practice all that team stuff we talked about, or just be heroes because you know. Mm-hmm. Torches. Um. Again, I want to reiterate what we've gone over is like the surface of team fighting because this 100%. this topic and i said it last time with strategies and tactics these topics we're talking about are things you literally go to school to get degrees in and we're just brushing the surface of we got of a like, shameless plug for this what actually go figure go to skbc and oh, take the yeah. tactics classes they they are there's literally one of the best teaching events in the game that has been going on for a super long time. I don't know if it was 2002 or 2001 or something like that. I, I don't remember when it started. Maybe it got if it started sooner. That's wild. But they they have team fighting. They have mm -hmm. some low, small teams. Some it's big teams. The more students they get, the the more in depth the classes. And I've been to several over the years. And there's a lot of new content all the time because they're always coming up with new ways to mm -hmm. to hit people as a group. So SKBC. That's not until I don't have the date in front of me, so I'll screw that up. But there's still time. April. I thought it's May. Is it May? I feel like May is just crammed packed with events. Well, whatever. It doesn't matter. This will be out before then. I, I cannot encourage it enough. And if this is if you miss it and you can't go this year, you should go the following year. Very, very cool. If you think you can get something, there's lots of great instructors from all over AmpGuard that can teach you new skills. And those will translate into to team stuff mm -hmm. if that's what you want to do you can build yourself to help your team yeah the better you are the better you'll you know the team works uh, uh so. i i believe that if the the data i have is still correct um skbc should be may 20th through the 22nd um it's the weekend before the event i'm supposed to run so that's not really responsible for me i would love to go because the skbc i went to was phenomenal like i had one-on-one -on -one time with two warlords for I mean, an hour like I mean, frankly I mean, at, you, you could also go to spring war and get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time that's also true go that. to spring war and get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with some warlords they may be Most fighting other people but it's a lot of one-on-one -on -one time to, to ask have, questions so many people love that their their egos they love to be asked things it's like oh yes let me teach you young young kids about all of the wacky things that we do and they wouldn't call it that because these are old torches mostly but. i mean cloud is dead it with balder like he didn't know who balder was at all cloud yeah. just was like all right we're gonna do some stuff he fought him for like 15 minutes he goes okay we're gonna work on how to throw a proper rap shot and they threw a gatorade bottle back and forth for 15 minutes until zach had the right that's balder he had the right form down and then he started throwing rap shots and he's like oh this is Most so much easier dudes, there's all kinds of rumors about 
warlords and whatever, but most of these dudes are, I, most of us dudes, I don't know, whatever, most of the individuals that have attained this, this title are cool cats that are happy to share some wisdom about fighting. We obviously love it. We do it a lot. And it's not that big. 15 minutes of my time is not, that's fine. I, I would love it. So I, there's lots of guys that feel the same way. So. Yeah, absolutely. Because the more people that fight and the more people that get better, the more people we get to fight and we get to get better ourselves. Mm hmm. Endless grinds. But anyway, that's. Yeah. <laughs> Rule of thumb go find a warlord and ask them to fight you and then teach you how to be better. Great time. Um, all right. Uh, I think that gets all of our things. Uh, Maddox, do you have any questions you want to ask us before we're done? I just wanted to make one comment. Mm -hmm. More people we have out there, funner the game is. Mm -hmm. Period. Back. And with me being in this game as long as I have, seeing people grow up like Lily, it's. I'm sorry, I saw you grow up in this game. It, 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 you're phenomenal. Oh, thank you. Uh, and it's, it's a great time. Mm-hmm. Get your friends. With, I love having fun with people. I may not be in the best shape anymore because of my age and stuff like that, but it's from what I came from my background and stuff like that when I first started Amcard back again. I think I'm doing damn good. Mm -hmm. Definitely. All right. Uh, then, uh, thank you guys for being on the, uh, second recording of the episode. Um, we'll see how people like this one and we might go and do some more part two or more in depth stuff. Cause this is a lot of topic. So, uh, if you want that comment, like subscribe, make, let me know and we'll figure it out. Um, and tell us to make videos that we can review uh team fighting and the tactics. That yeah. That's also good. Right what a suggestion one of these random listeners will probably have. Mm -hmm. If you have ideas uh, or if you want to be on the podcast, just message the uh, On the Path Facebook page. There's like 300 of you following it now, so that's amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to have uh, Digital Merrick roll us out, but thank you guys for coming and thanks for listening. This has been another episode of The Paragon Path. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy what we do, please drop us a like, subscribe, some comments, anything, even a review that helps us reach more people that like this content. The more people we get on the platform, the more people we get commenting, the more people we can get on the path. So stick with it. If you have any ideas or would like to be on the path yourself, don't be afraid to reach out. I've got plenty of openings and plenty of episodes to still run. So if you think you've got an idea for it, reach out. We'll see if we can get you on as always, stay on the path. Hope to see you on the field.